The strong wind was howling and whistling. He was the first Chinese citizen to graduate from Yale University in the mid-19th century. I was born on the 17th of November. She had prominent features. Three of us were old enough to lend a helping hand. He navigated between two vastly different cultures and moved further to realize his dream and promote understanding between the people of China and the United States. Ye Mingxing was a native of Hanyang. I realized no danger. China is really awakening. Come and join us in discovering the incredible journey of Yong Wang in his autobiography, My Life in China and America. Check out the audible stories on radio.cgtn.com and all major podcast platforms. Just search for the podcast Books and Beyond and find My Life in China and America. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing, I'm He Yang. Good as always to have you with us. International Workers' Day is a public holiday in China when workers get five days of rest and leisure. We take a look at how labor, household skills, and the hardworking spirit is being taught in school. What significance? Lies in educating people the importance of labor, and we're on a mission of starting your week with a motivational kick. Our motivational Monday offerings will get you ready to tackle the week. For today's program, I'm joined by Niu Honglin in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. First on today's show. May the first marks International Workers' Day, when we celebrate hard work and the value of labor. Last year, we brought to your attention at least one course every week is devoted to teaching basic household skills to students in primary and junior high schools in China. Now, have kids' skills and appreciation of labor improved? Yeah, what do you say, Niu Honglin? Well, to start with, or to bring back some memories, let's take a look at what are the courses. What is what exactly is labor education, or in my opinion, manual labor education here in China? Because according to a 2022 China Daily report, starting from the fall semester of 2022, students in primary and middle schools would have at least one course every week, like Heyang just said, to learn basic household skills such as cleaning and cooking, plus cutting-edge technology, including 3D printing and laser cutting. I mean, these two sounds. Completely different from each other, and I didn't realize the、uh, category or why we put them together. And after a little bit research, I realized that the Ministry of Education released this new curriculum standard for labor education in compulsory education. The standard has three types of tasks:、um, everyday chores, including cleaning, organizing, cooking stuff, and productive labor, including agriculture, making traditional handicrafts, experience, and application of new technologies. That's where the three D printing came in, and service, including volunteer work. And actually, there are ten task groups. They have different theme. Some of them sounds rather simple and everyday, including the cleaning of Your house, maybe knitting a sweater, maybe cooking, but some can be rather complicated and even subject-oriented, like. 3D printing and laser cutting, and apparently different schools are taking this approach in different ways. For example, some schools decided to use 
baking instead of tomato and egg stir frying in the cooking and nutrition task group, and when it comes to the agricultural production labor task group, some schools would encourage students to plant rice, but some others would encourage students to plant Chinese herbs. As for the industrial production labor task group. People used to teach kids to do model assembly and clothing repair, but now more and more schools started to teach architecture and clothing design, which means all these tasks started to be more and more complicated and. I would say interesting for the kids raised in this day and age when they、um, are preoccupied with telephone. When I say telephone, I mean cell phone and computer, all these technologies. So making these tasks a little bit more complicated actually would seem more appealing for kids these days, and apparently for me as well.、Hmm, so it's not just.、Uh... Having digital devices as the babysitter,、um, you actually need to learn some of these manual labor skills or household skills or life skills, however you call them. Josh, you're from the UK. When we talk about labor education as such, what comes to mind for you? I think about something called D and T, design and technology. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this term, but in the UK, this is what we call one of our most practical classes and. It reminds me of school. We we don't have such an initiative in the UK right now, but practical skills are taught in the UK. But it's really to varying degrees. It really depends on the facilities that your school has, and also really dependent on the teacher. Because, as you can imagine, having teachers that are highly trained in these very very specific areas, they're they're far and few between. So、uh, it's really dependent on all of these variables. I think I was quite lucky because in our in my secondary school. High school, we had some really good D and T teachers, so our classes were awesome. And I love doing things with my hands, so I have really fond memories of this. I do think, though, that sadly,、um, despite the benefits of these classes, that there's less and less emphasis on these practical skills in schools and just in society in general. I think、um, for several reasons we can discuss. But yeah, it, it gives me a lot of fond memories hearing about this, and、um, I, I, I miss it honestly. I think I should have spent more time focusing and doing these、um, labor educations,、uh, if you like. Right. Well, here in China, sometimes people lament, especially the parents, kind of. Sometimes they criticize their kids that oh you have zero ability to survive on your own when you're out of the <laughs> nest,、mm-hmm. so to speak. One example somebody gave on the internet, you know, this is like everywhere, is one of the parents saying that the 18 year old left for college and then brings home the laundry. Uh, for parents to do, and、uh, if they're living on their own, they don't know how to change a light bulb. They don't know how to do this and that, which are considered as the basics of working with, with your hands. You're supposed to be able to do it, but young people these days perhaps don't, and that's seen as oh something that needs to be fixed. And where is the spirit of hardworking and labor? And do you buy this kind of? Logic, and do you see that? Oh, that's a shortcoming of young people. I wonder if the British young people or Gen Z know how to change the light bulb, know how to, I don't know, do these basic things that you are supposed to know how to do when you're living on your own. And Josh, I see a sly smile. So, what do you say? Well, where do British young people get these training of basic skills? For example, a 
button just fell mm. off my coat. How do you attach the button back into your coat? How do you automatically know how to do it? I yeah. mean, as basic as it might sound. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, more and more, I'm thinking that maybe I was very lucky and that, you know, the only class that I basically failed in school was design, not technology. It was design, which was basically sewing class. We, we had to do sewing <laughs> class. I had to do that for about three years in high school. Once a week or once every two weeks, I had to go and learn how to sew things, um, which is amazing to me now. I don't even know if this class exists anymore. And that was, you know, probably around 16 years ago or something in the UK. So I guess that's where I learned it. Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't take it uh, so much for granted that I, I do know how to sew a button on. You, you're right. How, how, how would you know otherwise? I guess. I think you've brought a really good point. That is, thinking back, you realize that you learned sewing in a class. It doesn't really come that naturally. Previously, I thought, let's take walking and sitting down, standing <laughs> up, for example. You thought these are not skills. They would come in natural. But actually, for a little baby, a newborn baby, all these things need to be taught, need to be practiced. And if we think about all that, it is not strange that a student an 18-year-old young adult is having problems cleaning their clothes or changing a light bulb because they are deprived from the opportunity of practicing anything similar to that. They have never tried their hands on any kind of housework. How would you expect them to have that ability? So I do not think it's a matter of are we teaching them these basic life abilities, these basic life skills. It's more like previously, maybe we've put schoolwork onto the pedestal. Maybe we've put these kids into a position where they have no chance even trying a little bit of this housework, making their, I would say, hand-eye coordination not as good as we would assume. So having uh, the chance to learn all these things is... A necessity, I feel like. And actually, um, an experiment was conducted by the Liaoning Academy of Social Sciences. They gave a cooked egg to children to eat. And they seen that the rural children were able to peel the egg easily, whereas the urban kids peeled the egg slowly, and there were still eggshells on the egg. So that was the actual situation they observed during the experiment. We're not saying that in the future, urban kids were will not be able to peel eggs. We're just saying in the same stage, maybe they lack certain kind of dexterity in their ability to do manual labor as simple as peeling an egg. And I feel like with these kind of compulsory courses being designed into our compulsory education, maybe that situation could be gradually and drastically fixed. I have two questions here. One is back in the day when I was in primary schools more than 20 years ago, we had these courses uh -huh. in Beijing. And that's when I learned how to wash my sneakers. Yeah, they're not just for one-time use or, you know, they get dirty and you throw them out. That's not, how, <laughs> not the way. Disposable clothing, that doesn't exist in our household. So basically, yes, I remember that being taught in school and also cooking the tomato mm -hmm. and egg stir fry thing. That's a standard dish for all Chinese households. Learn how to do that as well as sewing a button back onto the shirt. Mm -hmm. And 
the part that I find trouble comprehending is I don't find this to be particularly new to the curriculum, but if so many kids don't know how to do it, then is it like there's something drastically wrong that went into how the classes have been conducted? Question one. Number two is if kids are so sorry to judge, incapable in all this stuff, then what are the parents doing? Have you been doing all the hard work, all that extra work so that your kid doesn't need to lift one little finger in doing these basic household things and now they're 18 and you're saying, how could you have not known how to do any of this? Something's not right here. I think there are two major improvements when it comes to the so-called adding or making the labor education as part of the compulsory education. One is what you mentioned about the parents not letting their kids even touch cold water or wash a dish, just having their cute little hands on pens and computers only learning. That's one problem. That is for some schools, maybe previously we did have these kind of classes. Actually, I remember myself um, learning to do some woodwork in my primary school and also so sewing, like Josh has just said, I did those. But I have to say for some kids younger than us, maybe the schools put too much attention in making sure their kids go to from primary school to middle school and to high school. And gradually they have changed all those classes to Chinese or mathematics or other classes that require some paper test. So that's the situation for some schools and some students and some parents. And by making this a compulsory course, we make sure this kind of situation stop existing so that kids would have the ability to learn basic life skills. And another improvement is what we mentioned earlier, that it's not only these basic cases of skills, it's not only cleaning your desk or sweeping the floor, they are trying to include more I would say high-tech projects into these labor education. Actually, um, yesterday I saw a short video. I watched a short video of some primary school kids using plastic water bottle and plastic bags to mimic the launching of a rocket. You know, when the rocket launches, they have different parts that fell off and be recycled. By by saying fell off, you see how much how less I know about this science, but they would be recycled so that the key part would have a faster speed. Anyway, they mimic the situation of the launching by using plastic bottles and plastic bags. I would assume this would definitely help them practice their hands-on ability to operation and stuff, but it also helps them to understand the technology behind this simple rocket science a little better. So yeah, we are not only putting labor education back to the compulsory education, we are also upgrading it as well. Yeah, I, I think that it's pretty illustrative of a greater change in not just education but also work culture in general i think that especially as societies become more prosperous um generally i think it it history has tended to show that um that there's been a, more pressure to be more productive high tech of course and this can leave um a bit of an underestimating of the importance i think of hands-on skills which is what we're really talking about here right and also i think on top of this it's an increase in of outsourcing of 
the avail because of the availability of technology and things like this. I think that this promotes a dependence on technology and also a neglect of these handy skills. Um, so I, I do wonder if this is if this is also what's happening. And as China does develop, does become more prosperous, um, I, I wonder if this is what's happening. Maybe. And um, but this being said, I do think that there's serious value as a lot of people recognize which is why we're talking about this new labor education initiative right the value of these hands-on skills um and that actually they can be very useful i don't think we've even spoken yet about why they're so useful right and i, I think that that's uh, really important to talk about i think that there's so many reasons of course it's not just helping you to change a light bulb right it can also seriously contribute to society and on an individual level it can save you a lot of money. Um, I know that growing up, my uncle is an electrician and a plumber. So I was very lucky because when I was growing up, I helped him. I worked with him. We call it laboring actually in the UK. So actually this word has quite a direct meaning in British English anyway. To labor basically means doing all the unskilled things for somebody who's skilled. So, And I've honestly saved so much money because of it, not just because I fixed my own plumbing, nothing too serious, but I can fix basic issues and same with lights, but because I don't get ripped off, for example, as well, you know, yeah. that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think there's many other benefits. Yeah. And I remember uh, when I was a kid, people say that you should learn to play the piano because playing piano would require both hands, both your left hand and right hand need to move differently. And yet it will help your brain develop better. And now thinking about it, actually peeling an egg or trying to tie your shoelace is meaningful in that matter as well. It trains the coordination and cooperation of neural activity, which is also beneficial for brain development for kids in that age. If you miss the chance, maybe you miss the window. So I feel like the meaning there, it is meaningful beyond just teaching kids how to do that. Yeah, I can see that in theory, but that's so basic. I mean, don't we ask for more? Kids can yeah. do more, you know, in this day and age. And also there are so many like inventions and, oh, the latest AI and technological advancement we talk about on the show. And it's all to free people from labor. Like you don't need to mop the floor now yourself because you've got the uh, robo vacuum robot <laughs> to do that for you and and all these inventions but on the other hand there is still a significance in us being able to use our own hands this one body to do this stuff i mean does that maybe it's worthwhile to reiterate a, a little bit of why that matters in today's world and also looking into the future i don't think we still have to do it by ourselves. But it is always nice to have that option, in my opinion. Call me old fashioned. Sometimes when I watch the videos of a man using his bare hands to build a house in maybe the rainforest, and you see the fast forward version, and you find well, I find it pretty cool. And having that ability doesn't mean you have to do it all by yourself. But at least you can use the experience, you can use the knowledge to maybe help develop a more convenient robot that can help you sweep the floor. At least that is one pro I can think here. Yeah, I 
I mean, I can give you many, many pros to this, I think. Um, actually, did you know that this kind of practical work, these skills, it also uh, promotes critical thinking? I, I, th I found that very interesting when I was doing some research before this show. And it makes a lot of sense to me. Also, creativity and innovation. Because, of course, what it basically is, if you think about it on a very fundamental level, it's problem solving, right? That's all it is. And actually, we do that in non practical labor as well, right? We, we're also just problem solving all the time. Everything that we're doing, that is work, basically. So I, I really like that analogy of it. And I think that in that regard, it's it's really useful. And I think that it's just, and not even to mention the benefits of the physical exercise side of it. And I think that anybody who's ever done anything, you know, painted their own room or um, even changed the light bulb or where, whatever it is, there's a great deal of satisfaction you feel from that, right? And um, yeah, I think that's, we cannot measure the, the benefits of happiness, right? Oh, if that can bring you happiness. Nyoholin, <laughs> um, what do you see as the possible reasons <laughs> sure. that we should teach children to do these, well, they're not really hardcore laboring, but, you know, to borrow the British term from Josh, laboring. <laughs> laboring can help them understand that their parents are not only the adults that are going out of their home eight o'clock in the morning and coming back six o'clock. Actually, they are bearing a lot of responsibility at home as well. They're raising them in all different kinds of aspects and helping kids to learn the idea of responsibilities. And also chores can help teach kids teamwork. We're only talking about these basic ones as examples, but actually even for cooking classes, young kids may form into different groups with different number of students and they can each take on different tasks. Maybe some of them are responsible for calculating the amount of ingredients they need for this one meal. Some of them are preparing for the ingredients and others are doing the actual cooking and all these requires teamwork. So I think that is another benefit as well. And all in all, I think in this world, we are at last responsible for ourselves. And of course, we can rely on others to help us do a lot of things. But you never know if I'm being very passive right here, it is possible that one day you will all of a sudden lose your job and you need to use your own bare hands to earn a living. And hopefully that will never happen to any of you listening to the show or any of your kids listening to the show. But that desperate situation, we would still have the ability to earn a living by the laboring we learned from our primary school or middle school. I think that is still a perk. Yeah, and also just given the fact that not many people know how to do so many things with using your bare hands, quoting Neil Holden here, then that becomes a strong suit for you. <laughs> That's like an advantage. Maybe you can work that towards your advantage if you need to earn an extra buck or something like that. Josh, do you have anything like that in the UK? And I suspect that now in China, not many schools require their students to do that anymore. Now you employ someone to do that for the students. And yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Does it always have to be that, oh, you have to be in the shoes yourself to appreciate the value, the process, the spirit of doing something? 
Absolutely. I think that there is value in it. And I think that everybody should do that. And also, can I just defend all, all of the possible listeners who may be earning their living by uh, doing oh, things with right. their hands? I think that actually in education, there's, there's a bit of a, a snobbishness about these skills sometimes. And I, I think that I, I may have even been guilty of this myself, because when I was choosing my degree at school and what I wanted to do, I always, as I said, loved using my hands and I neglected that side of it. And to be honest, I kind of regret it. And I think that it's a real admirable work job and actually really lucrative. Plumbers, electricians and joiners in the UK do pretty well for themselves, actually. So um, I think that it's not a bad career to, to have at all. And it's something that, you know, you can really build build yourself literally and also as a business, right? But yeah, I think there is value in it. I think that we should get our hands dirty, so to speak. I, I think that it doesn't just make you appreciate other people and allows you to empathize with maybe people who are doing those jobs that you may not like, but I think it just makes you appreciate the reality of life a little bit more. Mm. And I think that that is something that we should all do daily. Yeah, that's such a great point, Josh. And thanks for pointing that out. Because with our economy, as it increasingly moves towards the service economy, and we'll probably see a growth in wages for skilled workers who know how to do plumbing, who know how to do these uh traditionally perceived as blue collar jobs. And we're in the process of that. Also, we've got plenty of people who probably have a very nice diploma, but don't know how to cook a hard boiled egg or something like that. Really? Is it that drastic? I'm, I'm really curious to hear from our listeners what they think about this. Well, you know where to do that. Please send us an email or voice memo to Roundtable at foxmail.com. We'll be back after this break. D-Dime, a podcast of CGT Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Neil Holin in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Coming up, Helsinki will open the world's first secondhand store in an airport. We delve into secondhand shopping, jet-setting style. And public holidays are often time for the WeChat Friend Moments show-off competition. Truth be told, the grand tale of people living their best lives and posting them on social media is a mere performance. What are the common tricks of making travel pics so much better than the real thing? Our special segment, Motivational Monday, is also coming your way. We'll give you that adrenaline shot for the start of the week. Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. And if you have a question for Roundtable's Heart to Heart segment, please share it with us and it could be answered on the show. Please send a voice memo or email to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Now on Roundtable, as we continue today's discussion, Modern airports are more than thoroughfares where people rush to catch flights. 
They have become retail hubs, selling a wide range of products from food to fashion. Stores based in airports have a built-in advantage of captive audience, after all. But travel retailers cannot afford to be complacent. Airports also need to keep pace with traveler expectations and enrich the in-store airport retail experience. Recently. Helsinki Vanta Airport has launched the world's first secondhand store at an airport, a move that is said to follow latest trends and the wish of passengers. So, what's the thinking behind setting up a secondhand store in an airport? Well, as we know, this groundbreaking store combines recycling culture with a popular cafe, providing an exciting new shopping and dining experience for travelers. The store, which will be the world's first secondhand store at the airport, will offer high-quality secondhand clothing and accessories alongside a trendy cafe. The area will feature Finnish architecture, wooden design, and unique brands, creating a memorable and enjoyable experience. Experience for travelers to relax and refreshing during their journey. So, if you're thinking about a flea market with numerous merchants standing in the hall of an airport, shouting out to sellers and to their passengers, that's not what's going to happen. You're still within this rather quote-unquote high-end environment and purchasing for. Antiques for these second-hand yet still quite expensive accessories still fit in the airport kind of atmosphere. Right. It's interesting you mentioned that atmosphere because、mm. usually when you talk about airport shopping, you think of like duty-free goods, so it should be quite nice, and therefore you don't need、uh -huh. to. When it's tax-free, and then it's like, oh, what a bargain! And、uh, you don't really think secondhand for sure. So, Josh, do you like this idea? What is it about Europeans? <laughs> I mean, this is happening in Finland.、Um, <laughs> are they thinking to set up shop like this? I think that it makes a lot of sense. I think that it's really cool. I think one thing personally that I don't like about Airports is that they are really commercial. They're quite predictable and boring. I already know what stores I'm going to see before I even enter the airport. I know what food's going to be available. I have a good idea anyway. So to have something a bit diverse like this, I think, is really interesting, and it makes the airport quite unique. So I'm all for it. Maybe it's as you say because I'm European, and that's probably why it exists somewhere in Europe. But、um, for me. I think it's brilliant. It's excellent. I'm surprised that it it actually happened in the first place, given how much power a monopoly a lot of these big retail stores have in airports. Well, I think at least the younger generations are also agreeing with you there, Josh. They are more likely to buy secondhand products as well. As of 2021, 42% of millennial and Generation Z respondents of a global survey stated that they were likely to shop secondhand for items. Younger generations are drawn to shop these pre-owned goods not only because they can often cost less, but because it is more environmentally friendly. And I do know that 
Actually, Germany, I feel like, has one of the most convenient flea market systems in the world. And previously, I didn't know why, but after doing a little research, I realized that they also have one of the most complex waste disposable systems in the world as well. So many old items are difficult to classify. And if you ask、um, a professional company to come and get your stuff, you may have to pay even more. That can be really expensive.、Oh. So instead. Of putting it into little pieces and classify them correctly, so you are not fined. It is a smarter choice to just sell them to whoever still needs to use them. So I think that's one, or that's where the idea of a flea market generates from, or at least being very prosperous in Germany. And I do also understand how come this、um, secondhand store. Open in an airport becoming one thing because, like He Yang said, it is still a little bit in contrast with our idea of a airport atmosphere. But they are being very smart by making this place even like a, in my opinion, little museum with、mm. all these old stuff with different stories behind them, and you still feel like you are doing a little bit treasure hunting in finding the things that you click. Mm-hmm. With the previous owner, so a really cool idea with environmentally friendly theory behind it. So I'm all for it as well. Right.、Um, so when we talk about secondhand shopping in a lot of these、uh, vintage stores or thrift shops, a lot of the times they're not shabby at all. No, they're nicely decorated, and they're supposed to have this. Extra character to them that is very different from the commercialized, franchised stores that you know elsewhere. And yes, and they're supposed to be maybe this artsy flair to it as well. Sometimes not so sure how that will fly <laughs> in the airport store, but it's really interesting when you visit Europe and speak to Europeans, and、uh, also I would think some young people in other places that. But particularly conspicuous in Europe, this is only according to personal experience. That young people generally think that using secondhand and buying secondhand and vintage is cool. Like wow, and I think that's that's a great thing.、Yeah. So it's widely accepted and deeply embedded in society. And I think for China, we are a developing country, and so many people are probably still trying to get their hands on their first aspiring designer item, which I respect too. But I think towards a certain level of development, when people start to think, and we are seeing this already in China, that. People are seeing the value of using secondhand and buying secondhand goods, and we have these thriving secondhand platforms like Xianyu, Zhuanzhuan, and all these places where people daily put their idle products onto the platform, so somebody else can pay a fee and get it, and you know just recycle. Or pay it forward, pass on the love, however you say it, and and that's common too. So,、mm-hmm. but still, it would be very strange in China if we see a secondhand store in an airport. Am I getting sort of ahead of myself a little bit? I don't think a secondhand store in an airport would be strange per se, 
Because there are different forms of secondhand stores. Actually, for airports, if someone loses their luggage and after ninety days they don't claim the luggage, the luggage would automatically started to belong to the airport, and they can take things out of them and start selling them. That is kind of a secondhand store, I would assume. But、um, yes, if. It's time for us to embrace the idea of a secondhand store in an airport in China. We definitely need to do more research because people would have to spend their already very tightly arranged time in an airport to shop in a secondhand store. Then you must be very appealing because nowadays, as I know, many Chinese people when they visit airports or when they use an air. Playing to travel, they would definitely spend some time in the duty-free shops. So again, you need to be very attractive for them to stay or spend some of their time in a second-hand store. Yeah, and actually, I know a group of people in China that are gradually fond,、uh, more and more fond of using second-hand goods. You might be surprised. That's the new moms. When they're buying stuff for their kids, you would realize that kids grow up so fast, and people tend to make infant or baby stuff really, really clean. So having those stuff being reused by other moms is not that hard to accept.、Yeah. And all those little clothes and、um, books are really good for recycling. And I'm happy to see many new moms. Starting to adopt this new lifestyle, so yeah, that would be a good example, I guess. Very good. I think that this isn't really about airports and what's profitable in airports. I think it's more about society accepting the secondhand market as a whole. And I know that in China, it's still gaining momentum. It feels like it's like that to me, anyway. At least compared to Europe, where. The second-hand clothing market, for example, is absolutely booming year on year. So I think that maybe it takes some time. But one interesting thing is that predominantly second-hand stores, second-hand clothes in particular, in the UK and US, are most popular with the younger generations. So I do wonder if, in the future, China may see a second-hand store in an airport, as it is the younger generations that seem to be most interested in this market. You're listening to Roundtable. Coming up next, for years, magazine, TV, and other public media mediums have displayed the famous, allowing them to craft the perception of what their day-to-day -day lives are like, even if it isn't how they really live. Social media has given a similar power to the average person. Photos are supposed to be evidence to you are living the life. These photos can be so easily deceptive, though. Listen to our discussion to get a better idea. Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable, where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. You're listening to Roundtable. I'm He Young.、I、have New Holian in the studio joining the discussion, and Josh Cotterell speaking from on the line. Public holidays, like the one you're in now, is to enjoy some time off work, and for lots of heavy social media users, time to post 
vacation photos that make trips look better than they are. These photos are all over the internet and our social media feeds. Provide us with the contrast, please, of what's real and what's being shown. <laughs> well, a photo, a beautiful photo of two girls sitting on camping chairs in front of impressive hortensia flowers has recently gone viral. But to be more precise, it is the backstage photo showing how this pic was taken makes it a hit. Beside the two girls are a camping lantern and few books. At first glance, you may think this is merely a document photo of a relaxing vacation, but it turns out the two girls are only sitting on the rooftop of a shabby security pavilion at the roadside in Shanghai. So they are sitting on the roof of this little I'm not even gonna call it a house it's kind of like a little box and behind them are the tree of the hortensia flowers and it makes you wonder how come these two beautiful girls wearing dresses came up to the top of that little house and why would they be so creative in making such photo that they cannot even find a prettier place to actually take a prettier photo Right. So from the picture, it looks like a whole wall of flowers. But in reality, it's only one or two trees. And that's about it. Uh Yeah. Josh, you must have seen many of these debunk the myth of a beautiful photo thing on social media. Um, This is this is the social media reality we're living in, aren't we? Absolutely. I, I think that it is. And it's becoming more and more real, uh, scarily so, right? So, so real that it's sometimes difficult to distinguish between both of these realities. And I guess that the scarier part is that a lot of people welcome this. Uh, Maybe that's not scary at all. Maybe it's just the way it is. But yeah, um, it is part of the reality. Is this bothering anybody? Some people make the argument that for visitors who see these photos on the internet and they want to go visit the place. They feel like they've been cheated on. Otherwise, I mean, does this kind of, I don't know if it's for profit or not, but self-promotion or promoting a particular locality or a tourist spot or whatnot, I mean, is it a problem? Well, at least the photographer said they did nothing wrong. They claimed that they didn't pick the flower, not affect any pedestrian, and they were simply shooting photos. And they say, quote unquote, as long as it's legal, it can be done, then you cannot really criticize me. But this actually reminds me of some wedding photo shooting uh, techniques here in China because we know in the West normally or usually you would take your wedding photo during your wedding day and uh, it's spontaneous and it's about the guests, about the um, bride and groom. But here in China, we would take some wedding photo before the wedding to show actually on the wedding. And those photos are done really creatively. They would have the brides lying into a little pond or a little um, let's say swimming pool to get to the certain angle they need and sometimes people would even visit a work site and use the sands on the work site to form a certain angle so that they can be appear in a 
desert. So all the contrast to make the photo really creative and beautiful. And I can understand if they need the background, they need to stage it a little bit if it's your wedding photo and that's what you're looking for. But for travelers who are actually posting these photos as a kind of advertisement saying, come here, visit here, we've had such a great experience here. I do not understand why are you misleading the other poor travelers to visit a place that you might not even like. Yeah, this is funny. We saw so many of these pictures in the past. It feels like this is the reoccurring topic of every public holiday. Many tourist attractions in China have these kind of Instagrammable spots. And then, yeah, you get the almost similar pictures all over the internet but when you look at the so-called debunk photo of um, taking a step back and taking a photo of the overall scene you might be surprised to see like 10 um, (laughs) social media influencers or whoever all posing and then their photographers would be carefully selecting that sliver of angle to take the perfect picture and carefully evading every other person that is so (laughs) clearly and closely nearby. And, And that's real technique, in my opinion. So Josh, are these overly filtered or posed travel pics a concern? Um, what do you think? I don't think that they're any more of a concern than any of the other overly photoshopped or edited photographs or content on social media. Um, I think if we're talking about the the general theme of fake or photoshopped or doctored, whatever term you want to use, photographs on the internet and on social media especially, then yeah, I guess that uh, there are some downsides to this. I think that unrealistic beauty standards, this applies, of course, when we say this, we immediately think about just the person, right, or their face. But I think that also we can maybe apply this to a physical environment, right? Um, It can uh, negatively affect um, possibly people's understanding of the reality of the environment that exists there. And I guess just from a a factual perspective, maybe that's not a good thing, right? Maybe we want to know the truth or what, what a place really looks like, or at least as close as we can to it, right? One may make that argument, I guess. I'm not sure if I agree with it. I'm playing devil's advocate. Um, and I, I guess also just misleading content, right? Uh, in in the same vein, really, just manipulated images, um, really, I guess, can be considered to be misleading content, uh, misinformation. So, um, and I think that most people, if you ask them whether they want that, They'd probably say no, right? Um, but I don't know if that's too harsh, you know? I don't no, know if that's too much. All. What do you guys think? Well, I just came up with a good idea. That is to have this theme of the places that I do not want to visit kind of hashtag into a social media so that if you have that list of places where people do not have to post these really overly beautiful fake pictures. They can post the actual picture of a scene site where it's overly crowded or a so-called very majestic 
gate being just a normal gate filled with passengers and a lot of photographers trying to find the perfect angle. Maybe that could be a good idea so that the people doing their research about where to go during holiday seasons would find that do not want to go list of places <laughs> and get some better or at least more accurate information. Yeah, maybe that is the way to go. I think certainly with more awareness of seeing is seriously not believing. <laughs> uh, Photo-wise, video-wise, we are probably going to become smarter in looking at all this stuff on the internet. And that seems to be where so many of us spend time on. And see, I'm curious if you're putting in effort to see if you are going to come out as the winner of this round of social media show-off competition because it's a public holiday. And if you're out on a trip, then I hope you're having a lovely time. Oh, yeah. And you have pictures to look back <laughs> and remind you of what it really was in your friend moments or friend circles later on. Maybe that's why people do this. You're listening to Roundtable coming up next, Motivational Monday. Motivational Mondays. Josh, what do you have for us? Well, to piggyback off our conversation about labor education, I would like to motivate people to actually try and get some labor education. And I will maybe try to give a few ideas about how you might do so and why it may be a motivational thing for you to do, why it has definitely motivated me throughout my life and continues to do so. We could take the example of learning some basic plumbing, right? Now, plumbing, is of course when you usually fix something in your bathroom, but it's not just your bathroom, it's anywhere where water is running, right? That's the idea of it. And I think for many people, including myself for a long, long time, it seemed quite unapproachable. And I found it quite intimidating given how if something goes wrong, right? How big a piece of damage it may be and how you may have to pay even more money to deal with it. And I think many people think, well, I'll just minimize the risk and just pay someone else to do it. But I think that actually, as we spoke about earlier, learning a few basic skills, learning about something like plumbing can actually allow you to save a lot of money, build confidence. And also, I think, now you may laugh at this, Ho Young, but actually have a great time, right? And I, and I <laughs> Lovely. That, um, what, <laughs> uh, I think that what I would suggest you to do is, of course, do some research. There are so many online research tools for this. And you could even attend some small classes or workshops and then try it out, right? You can actually work on some things without unscrewing anything, without changing anything. You could maybe start by cleaning some pipes or doing something like this. And I know for many people, they'll be laughing thinking, how is this motivational? How is this anything that I'd ever want to do? But just trust me here. Um, I, I really recommend that you try and do this. Um, and uh, let me know if anybody's done this, <laughs> let us know. Um, if I've motivated anybody and I'll be so, so happy. Totally agreeing with you here. We say menu labor is the most glorious here in China as well. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great. I mean, you've got people who are doing the hard work and I'll be the cheerleader along the way. I appreciate it so much. There must much. be some plumbers listening somewhere. There must be some plumbers listening. You glorious. guys are doing very important work. 
Yes, talking about hard work is one thing, and also it's a public holiday. So、mm-hmm. I wish all of you a very happy day and just chillax, do whatever you wouldn't do on a work day. And I think that's really special. And here, I'd like to share a song with you and send you the happy disco vibes. The song is by Zhang Qiang called "Shou Fu Tuo La Ji Si Ji." In English, it's called Russian Disco Dance. Let's dance! Thank you so much, New Holland and Josh Cotterell, for joining the discussion. I'm He Young. We're gonna dance away. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.